0: Hebrews chapter 11. As you know, I have been preaching a series of messages in between exposition of books of the Bible entitled, A Call for Men to be Godly, in which I am dealing with and addressing common temptations, not only among all of us as believers, but in particular men. And I've begun the series with the subject of sexual purity and a call for men to be sexually pure. We've looked at passages like 1 Thessalonians 4, 1-8. We've considered King David and seen the danger of sexual immorality in the life of one who was a man after God's own heart, but yet fell into heinous sin and chose to sin in such a way that brought dishonor to the name of God. 2 Samuel 11 and 12, we've looked at that. But then last week, we began to look at a godly example, an example to follow in the life of Joseph in Genesis 39. And I decided that this morning, I wanted to consider another godly example that will aid us, not only in striving by the grace of God to be sexually pure, but really some principles that will help us to understand how to withstand any temptation And so we see that godly example in the life of Moses as recorded for us here in Hebrews 11. I'll read verses 23 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking To the reward. There are those choices that are life altering, life changing. Not all choices are life altering, or at least they don't seem to be. But there are times when we think a choice will not have much of an impact in our lives, and then it does. But there are some very life-altering, life-changing choices, and we know that going into the decision. And as we deliberate regarding that decision, a very simple truth, choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. Moses was faced with a choice that would change his life. It would really set the direction of his life. He had made many life-altering choices, but there was a choice at a particular point in his life that would lead to two different paths, depending on what he chose. He really, truly faced a fork in the road. Which direction would he go? And before him were two paths, the comforts of Pharaoh's household, or the ill treatment that would come by associating with the people of God. On the one hand, the riches of Egypt. On the other hand, the reproach of Christ. The treasures of Egypt, or the reward of heaven. The passing pleasures of sin or the eternal pleasures only found in God through Christ. It was really a choice that would be made based either on sinful desires and sinful appetites or based on godly desires and godly appetites. It would be a choice made based on sin and the desire for sin or based on faith. In the promises of God. So, to state the obvious, this was no small choice before Moses that we have mentioned here in Hebrews 11. This choice would have tremendous consequences. In fact, it would have eternal consequences. Again, choices have consequences, but the most consequential choices we make are in regard to God, the gospel and the promises of God in the Word of God. Will we believe God's Word or not? And not only will we say we believe God's Word, will we act upon God's Word or not? A lack of faith in God's Word would have led Moses to make a completely different choice and go down a a very different path. If he had made a different choice... It would have sounded like this. In unbelief, Moses, when he had grown up, decided to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin in Egypt rather than to endure ill treatment with the people of God. Considering the treasures of Egypt to be greater riches than the reproach of Christ for he was looking for a temporal reward. Thankfully, the text does not read that way. This would have been an example, not of faith, but of unbelief and, in fact, apostasy. But Moses did not choose, based on sinful lusts and temporal pleasures, He believed God's word and he acted upon and obeyed the truth. So Moses here is faced with a moral decision. Before him was a temptation to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Sexual temptation was a part of the lure of Egypt. And therefore, what Moses or looking at what Moses chose and why he chose it will aid us and encourage us and instruct us as to how we can be pure and holy, how we can resist temptation in all areas, but in particular, in the area of sexual purity. Now, I've preached on this before when I preached through the book of Hebrews and there's so much to look at. I read verse 23. Before Moses made this choice, there were choices that were made that were out of his control by his parents. Godly choices that are recorded for us just briefly in verse 23. Choices that were made by faith in the promises of God and not based on fear of man. Instead, the fear of God. And the background to that one verse, in verse 23, is found in Exodus chapter 2. We don't have time to look at that this morning, but this was set as an example of faith as well. I do want to encourage you, though, as parents, that while obviously the faith of parents does not bring our children into the kingdom of God, the choices of parents, the examples of parents, the instruction of parents can by the grace and mercy of God and in the providence of God be of great benefit to the souls of our children as we point them to Christ. And so I encourage you parents not to to weary in teaching your children, training them in the things of God and living by faith in the promises of God yourself as you pray for your children and pray that God might have mercy on their soul. But at some point, the the choices of parents in regard to their children has to be owned by their children, right? Moses here is 40 years old. Now, he's made some choices in the past, but he's 40 years old when he comes to this particular choice regarding whether he would be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and enjoy the passing pleasures of sin associated with Egypt, or whether he would identify with the people of God and consider the reproach of Christ's greater riches. So this was the choice before him. Be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter or identify with the people of God and fulfill God's calling. Egypt or Israel. Egypt or the people of God. Be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter or identify with the people of God. And what did, off, what did Egypt offer? Power, prestige, fame, notoriety. And this would feed his pride. There we see the boastful pride of life. Comfort, ease, everything at his disposal. Riches, no lack of material gain. Security, so it seemed. All this would have appealed to his flesh and his sinful desires. Sexual sin was rampant in Egypt. The moral law of God was not obeyed. It did not come to bear upon their hearts and minds so that their culture was shaped by it. They were rebels to it. And this was all truly offered to Moses. On the other hand, there would be a choice that would be made that would lead to oppression, ill treatment, reproach, trials, to be sure. And he might have said to himself, Consider, consider what you'll be giving up. This will be costly. If I make this choice, I'm going to give up all of what Egypt offers. He could have made excuses. I'm not here of my own choices. He could have even blamed God indirectly or directly by the providence of God. By things that are outside of my control, I have this choice before me. Or he might have falsely reasoned, I can use my influence as a leader in Egypt for the good of my kinsmen according to the flesh. Don't use the choices of others. Don't use God as an excuse. Don't use the providence of God in a twisted way to excuse sin. Moses could have done this. We don't have recorded, obviously, What's taking place? What we do have recorded is that he considered, he contemplated. We'll see that more in a minute. He he didn't just say, oh, easy decision. He considered the options, he pondered it. So Moses is faced with this choice. How will he respond? We've had far less, obviously, dangled before our eyes, and we've gone headlong into sin. We have a hard time refusing ourselves of the slightest lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Just imagine what is truly before Moses. Consider all that was available to him that was from the world. And yet it says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused. It's an important word in understanding This passage and how it applies to how we live the Christian life. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. In order to do the will of God, men, in order to be godly, to be men who are pursuing God and his glory, in order to be pure, holy men of God, you have to refuse certain things. That is necessary. Our Naomi is the Greek word. To refuse, to disown, to deny, to renounce. That is necessary. A choice must be made to refuse certain things. Sometimes we think, oh, a choice doesn't have to be made. I can have all that Egypt offers. And I can have all the promises of God. No, you can't. It's a lie. And this is a part of what is the lie of the evil one in all kinds of temptations. But especially in sexual purity, we begin to think ungodly, unbiblical thoughts. I don't have to deny myself these things. I'm covered by grace. And we begin to think in twisted, distorted ways that are really the lies of of really of how we once thought before we were even regenerated and the lies of the devil himself. I can have all that Egypt offers. I can have this sin. I'm forgiven in Christ and I can go on. And we begin to twist the grace of God and use it as an excuse to sin. I can have the world and Christ. Scripture says, no, you can't. You can't. You need to make a choice. And part of that choice is to refuse, deny, disown this for Christ. That's the way it is in salvation, is it not? Remember Philippians chapter 3, when I preached through it, that Paul said, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, when I was saved at 17, I didn't know that passage particularly that specific passage. But looking back, that that was a part of what the response of faith in Christ included. Okay, I knew what the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, drunkenness, and the whole life that I was living and to self and going my own way. And, And while I didn't know the scriptural teaching behind it, and I couldn't say, okay, I'm faced here with, am I going to gain Christ by faith? and renounce and refuse all these other things and consider them, as Paul said, but rubbish and dung for the sake of Christ. That's what happened. That's what God was working in my heart. And then it was later and understanding now with clarity. Oh, that's what the scripture says happened. (laughs) This is the work of regeneration and the gift of faith granted to me. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to... Come after me. He must deny himself, refuse even himself, his own sinful desires, his own way, and take up his cross and follow me. Some have taken Luke 9.23, those words of Jesus, and said, no, that's for a particular group of elite Christians. That's discipleship for some But then there are others, the carnal Christians, they're not as serious. They continue not to deny themselves and not to refuse and denounce things of the world. They're Christians. They just don't follow Him, but serious Christians. And we have these tiers of Christians. When you look at the context of Luke 9, and my memory doesn't serve me well right now. I forget the parallel passage in Matthew When you look, it wasn't said just to the twelve disciples. It was said to the crowds, too. The message at its heart is gospel. It's Philippians 3. It's, I have before me Christ, and I've heard the gospel and all the... The glories of Christ and the salvation that's in Christ. Am I going to come to him and trust and rest in him for my salvation? To do so means that you must denounce and renounce and disown all that you were once trusting in and those things that you pursued. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, You must deny yourself if you're going to come after me. We don't set the terms of the gospel nor discipleship. Christ does. And this is not only what happens when there's true saving faith, but then this is what then God works out in sanctification. There is now a continued refusal and denial of oneself and sinful desires and the world and the way of the world in order to grow in holiness and glorify God. For the grace of of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, Titus 2, 11 and 12, instructing us to, here's the word, deny ungodliness. Translated in Hebrews 11, I just lost the word in my mind, refuse. He refused. The grace of God then, instructs us as believers you have to continue to deny yourself you have to continue to refuse that's the way of the Christian life that's how you're sanctified so this was a a choice and and part of that choice for Moses as he's faced with is now I must refuse this and choose this what will I refuse and what will I choose it was a calculated choice It tells us in verse 25, choosing rather to endure. And it goes on to tell us what he chose. Verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ. Those words, choosing and considering, in verse 25 and 26, are words of contemplation wrestling with. The word consider means to make a decision after weighing the facts and circumstances to consider, to think through. This was not... Moses says, oh, easy decision, just do this. He's wrestling with it. He considers it. He calculates the matter. What am I going to choose? Before him were the passing pleasures of sin. He could have, in the words of Scripture, enjoyed those things temporally. There were the treasures of Egypt. On the other hand, ill treatment with the people of God. The reproach of Christ. He calculated the pleasures of sin, the treasures of Egypt. He calculated and considered ill treatment with the people of God and the reproach of Christ. And he found one to be greater than the other. And you might be thinking, how does this really apply to me? This is Moses. I don't face temptations like what is described here in Hebrews 11 that Moses faced. I'm not in such a prominent place as Moses. I'm not surely in a household of such prominence. I don't have all the riches and pleasures of the world at my disposal and I'm not called like Moses to be a deliverer of the people of God. I don't have such a choice. So how is Moses relevant to me? How is the choice he made when faced with such a decision and such a fork in the road really all that helpful in my struggle in general against sin and in particular against sexual sin? Here's one reason. The degree of the temptation that Moses faced and yet did not give into should be a great encouragement to us. It is true that not all face the same degree of temptation. And what Moses faced was an extraordinary temptation. Moses did indeed have such riches and treasures at his disposal. Therefore, he had a temptation that was great, to say the least. It was not just in theory, it was in actuality. He had an opportunity, again, for fame, notoriety, to have Pharaoh's household, all the things, the pleasures of Egypt. It really was at his disposal to choose. So this was no ordinary temptation. But if Moses had so much before him, to tempt him externally and even internally. And yet he did not sin. And yet he chose ill treatment with the people of God and the reproach of Christ, and he considered that greater riches. Then can't we do the same in lesser temptations? We can argue from the greater to the lesser. We are not faced with this type of test to that degree, really having the opportunity to to have all those things for ourselves. But the fact that we are not faced with such temptations to the degree or magnitude should demonstrate how relevant Moses is to us. If Moses chose to act based on the promises of God rather than the lust of the flesh, if Moses had so much before him to draw him away to the things of this world and away from the riches of Christ, then can't we, who do not have such things before us, can't we persevere in any temptation? The answer is yes. But why? Because we are so strong. No, we're weak. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. It, It's not the exact same temptation that we face in every circumstance with every person, but it's of the same kind. But here we have one that's greater, but the key is it's a common temptation, but God is faithful. And if God was faithful and if by the grace of God Moses resisted such a temptation, can we not as well? So I say this to encourage you again, not just to bring up the examples of those who have fallen, but those who have chosen by the grace of God greater riches than the world offers Christ himself. So no matter the degree of your temptation. You have the same God who's faithful. We serve the same God that Moses served. The same grace that strengthened him is the same grace that strengthens you. So the degree of his temptation, the enormity of the test and trial and the choice before him is relevant to us. If he did not forsake the faith, if he trusted in the promises of God, if he did not sin and bite the hook, And take the awful bait of the world and sin. And can we not as well? So Moses is very relevant to us. But not only Moses, we could say, in in Hebrews 11, you remember when I preached through this, if you were here, God has given to us by His wisdom in Scripture those who have walked by faith, But then he goes on to say, we have so great a cloud of witnesses. Those recorded in Scripture, but we have those among us. So we should also consider the saints who are currently going through trials, who are persevering by the grace of God. We should consider saints who face common temptations, but are not choosing to sin, but they're refusing those things. Those are the examples to follow. So ask them questions. Seek their counsel. Don't isolate yourself. Fellowship with the body. Seek out believers. Listen to their testimonies of God's grace and faithfulness. Consider the saints around you have gone through trials and temptations, Glean from their experiences. Young people, I say to you in particular, but not just the young people, adults as well. For sometimes we can act like young people. Young people, it's common for you to think that you're the first ones going through certain temptations. But actually, older saints of God have faced the same ones. And probably to much greater degree than you yet have faced. So follow the the wisdom of Proverbs and listen to your father and your mother that have been saved by grace. Listen to the saints of God around you and those who are following Him. Listen to your pastors, your deacons. Hear their counsel. Seek it. Ask it. How can I grow in grace? How can I grow in the faith? How can I endure in trials? And even consider those in our own body who have gone before us who are now with the Lord, who have been faithful even to the end. This is why I always say, bring your children to funerals. Don't shield them from it. Bring them to especially saints of God. And let them learn and be encouraged by their lives. But we learn from Scripture. God's Word that He has given to us. And here set before us is Moses. The degree of His temptation, the degree of the test of His fate should be an encouragement to us. If He endured, can we not? If He remained pure and holy, can we not? But there's something else about the example of Moses that we learn from. Not only that the degree of his temptation was so great, and yet he chose righteously by the grace of God and did not choose the world. We learn from the degree that we too can do the same, from the greater to the lesser. But while not all face the same degree of temptation, we all face the same kinds of temptation. So we learn this from Moses. While I may not have, for example, all the riches of the United States before me and all the things the world at that point, especially in his time, offered and the world and all the riches and the, the sexual sins that could, he could imbibe in, all of that, while we may not have that, it's the same kind of temptation. The temptation that he endured was is common to us. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. And so we are tempted with the same types of things, kinds of things. Moses was tempted with the boastful pride of life. This would be Pharaoh's house. The power, the prominence, the fame. He was tempted with the lust of the flesh, the passing pleasure of sin, all the sexual immorality that he could sinfully desire. The lust of the eyes, the treasures of Egypt, the temptation to covet was all around him and he could have it. We face the same kinds of temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. But Moses refused these things by faith, and he chose obedience. He chose ill treatment with the people of God and considered the reproach of Christ greater riches. So you see, the kinds of temptations that Moses faced are common to us. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But not only did Moses face the same kinds of temptations that we face today, he refused them by faith. The way in which he overcame those temptations is the way we do too. So we learn from him in this way. And so we have in verses 24 to 26 a powerful example of how we can resist any and every temptation, and in particular as we consider sexual temptations, by faith. So we can apply this to everything. What sin are you struggling with? What sins are you caught in? What sin has your heart and your affections? How do you resist it? How do you repent of it? How do you turn from it? How do you, when tempted, you refuse it and you choose what is the will of God? Moses showed us how. And we have it recorded here. Here's a common way and means in which we act in faith. When faced with temptation. Look at the verses again. Verse 24. By faith. That is critically important. I'll emphasize it in a moment. By faith. Moses when he had grown up. Refused. Underline refused. Mark it however you do it. Refused something. Here to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God. Here's how he did it. By faith, he refused, but he didn't just refuse certain things, he chose certain things. So you said, how, how do you resist temptation? Refuse and choose. If you want to boil it down, it comes down to this. By faith, believing the promises of God, what he has said in the gospel and about All things revealed, I refuse, I renounce, I denounce certain things, but I can't just do that. I have to choose those things that are in accordance with the will of God that are greater than the passing pleasures of sin. And he did those two things, refuse and choose, by faith, believing God and his word. And this is how we resist temptation of all kinds and especially as we think of sexual sin refuse and choose and do so by faith we just remind you i don't know why honestly this is something we wrestle i do know why because we've been conformed to the world it's all around us and it's it's in our hearts faith is not a feeling period faith is not a feeling faith informs our feelings it directs our feelings but faith is not a feeling. Faith, not feelings, inflames godly affections. Listen, the temptation, this is why men, you fall into sexual temptation. This is why we, we wrestle. We think that our wives or women are driven by feelings. No. When we're faced with this, here it is before our eyes. Are we going to act in faith based on what God has said about that sin? And what God has promised in regard to those things and his word that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and fall. Are we going to believe his word and act upon it or are we going to be driven by our feelings? Faith is not passive. Faith isn't just sitting there and say, oh, I believe God's word. I don't know, some kind of esoteric nether land that we're in we're now so oh, i don't have any problems with that no he calculated he chose it's a real temptation and he chose he refused and he chose what was the will of god faith is not passive it's active it obeys if it doesn't it's not faith if you don't act upon the truth of what god has said about something in that temptation then there's no faith involved Faith obeys. It's not a feeling. It's not intellectual assent. It's acting based on the truth of God. And that's what we see here with Moses. He refused. By faith, he refused something that was sin. And he chose something that was greater. And he did it by considering these things. This is how we live the Christian life. Romans 6, beginning in verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because that's true. So consider it to be true. And then there's action in the next verse. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you would obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body as sin. Instruments of unrighteousness. You're refusing to do that by the grace of God and by faith. But choose, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 6. So by faith, Moses refuses something He chooses something, and it's a calculated choice to choose that which was greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. So here, let me just point out, these are very foundational things, and I think these things need to be pointed out again because sometimes we go over the foundational things, and then later, the reasons why we struggle in the Christian life is we aren't understanding the foundational things. Here, Moses has made choices and from his choices are, we, or is, you have choices and affections. Let me say it that way. He chooses something because he considers something greater. He wants this more than he wants the world. And both are in the passage. There's the mind calculating and the affections that are directed by truth. It's not either or. Don't pit them against each other. It's both and. Choices and affections, mind and affections are not opposed to each other. They're related. Holy choices are made based on holy desires. And holy desires are informed by and increased by right thinking. That's why we have to be renewed by Uh, uh, you know sanctified by the renewing of our minds therefore the Christian life isn't just about making a choice although that's part of it if it's only a choice then the heart can be far from God people can make choices but not for godly affections and reasons we can just have external conformity which is not righteousness at all and the Christian life isn't just about feelings feelings come and go Listen, feelings must be directed by the mind apprehending and believing truth. And until we grasp that, feelings must be directed by the mind apprehending and believing truth. Until we grasp that, there are temptations we will not overcome. Feelings must be led by the truth. So God's word, the truth of God, rightly understood and believed must direct our choices and our desires and affections. And I present to you, that's what happened in Moses' case. And that's how he did not choose Egypt over Christ. He weighed the paths before him. But he did so based on what was true about those paths. And if you're to live by faith and resist temptation and sexual sin in particular, if you're to persevere in faith, you must consider, think about, and conclude certain things based on the truth of God's word. Believe them and act upon them. So let me just put this in in the practical terms that, that sometimes here's what we don't do. Men, but everyone, in every temptation, but men as we're talking about sexual sin. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the world, the boastful pride of life that's tied into that comes before us. It's the eye gate. It comes from within. We talked about that with our own uh, remaining corruption. There's an adversary. However and wherever the source of the temptation, it comes. And we go headlong into it. Why? Why? We've not refused those things. We've not denounced them. And we're not even considering them. We've not weighed them. Here's what we should consider. Here's what Pastor Ernest had been teaching for a while, for I think 17 sessions on the mortification of sin, as he expounded upon Owen's treatise on such things. Consider the nature of sin, the deceptive nature of sin, how it disguises itself to look pleasing to you, how it vows. to to give you pleasure, but yet it's lying to you. They're passing pleasures. How it promises you freedom. See, we sin because we don't consider and calculate and think rightly and believe God's word. When we do, now there's clarity. I must refuse that. I must denounce that. I must flee from that. We have to consider the deceptive nature of sin and its fleeting nature. It's passing pleasure. No, it's pleasure. So if we're driven by feelings, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? That's the mantra of the world, right? It just feels good. We've got to think biblically. Yes, there's pleasure in sin, but it's passing, fleeting, and its end is destruction. And all the hard way of sin, just consider what we've considered with David The consequences, the hard way of sin, the disciplining hand of God, the way of the transgressor is hard. See, when you consider that, if we think rightly and we believe God's word, now that thing's not so appealing to us. How many of you would say, when someone knocks on your door, if instead they're trying to sell you, I don't know what they're trying to sell you, but... Instead of pest control or whatever it may be, I don't know. They, they say, hey, I've got a proposition for you. I'm going to come in and demolish your house. And I'm going to destroy it. I'm just going to be up front with you. And you don't like your bathroom, I'll give you the sledgehammer. You can tear it up. It might feel good to you. You're mad at these things. You've been trying to... And, and it's going to be a hard way. And in the end, your house is going to be destroyed. You, you know the folly that you'd say you'd call 911. Right? But how we fall after the, the schemes of the devil that says he doesn't put it in that way. Instead, he says, no, these are pleasures. And you deserve this. But see, when we Moses said, okay, I see what Egypt is offering, but he was not deceived by it. He considered it and he calculated what would this lead to see we need to be sober minded men sensible men i'm going to preach on that that qualification of pastors but also for godly men in fact in scripture older men younger men older women younger women all all of us are called to be sensible so that we're thinking clearly this is the calculation we have to do we have to stop and think about where it leads. This is why Proverbs says, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. The lips of an adulteress drip honey. And smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. Sheol. You said, why, why do you have passion about that? Why wouldn't we? These are, are serious matters. This is why Proverbs, the Word of God, the enticements of the adulteress says, Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses, for my husband is not home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him, and at the full moon he will come home. In other words, he's he's gone. So with her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. So he does not know it will cost him his life. Therefore, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Brethren, I'm afraid that we become so inoculated to Egypt, its treasures, its sins, that we wouldn't be like Moses and said, I need to consider these things. This is where this will lead. Sometimes I don't think, men we're convinced of that, or we've just lost our minds in a moment. But the way you're sanctified in this regard is you refuse those things because you're sensible. You see them for what they are. Faith believes God's word and doesn't forget it and applies it in those situations. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so Moses chose those, or refused, excuse me, those things because he considered its end. Now, on the other hand, before him was a way that would lead to oppression, hatred, insults, reproach, ill treatment. You might ask, why would... Oppression, hatred, insults, reproach, possible death. Why would he consider those things riches? He considered them, it says, greater riches. You mean it's part of riches? It's hatred, insults, reproach, ill treatment with the people of God? Reproach? The short answer is this. He considered them riches because the text tells us that Moses understood it was the reproach of Christ that he was choosing. The reproach of Christ. Again, without this morning, can't get into, obviously, all the details of the reproach of Christ. There was some measure in which... Moses understood something about Christ, I believe the writer to the Hebrews is telling us, promised as he looked forward to the promises of the new covenant. And he understood more than just this as a personal temptation. This is about Christ. And in the end, he understood this path is to associate with God and his promises in this coming Messiah. Listen, we're on the other side of the cross. We understand this with the completed canon of Scripture of who Christ is. He has come. And we might have reproach from identifying with Christ and reproach and difficulty by denying worldly desires and following Christ. It's going to mean denying ourselves of sinful desires but whatever the consequence of that in the end it's greater riches than the temporal things of this world so here's what happened when you were saved whether you realize it or not or realize it at the time as you grow in your understanding of the gospel and of the word of god you look back and said this is what happened when you were saved your eyes were opened up to the glory of christ oh what a glorious savior my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more and this is faith your heart is toward Christ you wanted him more than your sin I mean for years I knew I didn't understand the gospel and that was part of it but I knew Christ meant I had to stop my drunkenness and immorality as a teenager I knew I could not have Christ and continue in that. No one had to tell me that. It's just obvious from from who Christ is. And I knew that. But previously, before I was redeemed by the grace of God, I chose sin. I was like, Christ is not that beautiful. I didn't think of in those terms, but that's what was happening. I wanted my sin more than Christ. But in salvation, what happens is, is now the beauty of Christ is so much greater than the passing pleasures of sin. You saw your sin for what it was. You saw the end of your sin. You fled to Christ. Beautiful Savior. And now sin was not so appealing in the light of the cross of Christ. Men, when we sin, believers, when we sin, we lose sight of that. That's why we have to fix our eyes on Jesus, not once, not twice, but constantly, forever. And understand that whatever you put before Christ is treasure. If it's ill treatment for Christ, is treasure. If it's reproach for the name of Christ, it's treasure. If it's denying myself of things that the rest of those around me are enjoying, it's treasure, as long as it's of Christ Bottom line, you love Christ more than sin. Every time we're tempted, it's, a, it's now a temptation. Do I believe God and his word or the lies that this sin is presenting before me? Do I love God and Christ my Savior more than I love this sin? So when tempted... What do I need to consider and bring to the forefront of my mind that my heart, my feelings, my desires, my affections might be directed by that which is holy and not unholy? God, Christ, the gospel, the new covenant and the blood of Christ, all those precious truths must come before me and I say, oh, that's greater greater than and i want that more than any sin this place before me this is how we grow in sanctification this is how we grow in holiness the goal of the christian life is not to be without desire and affection the goal of the christian life is to grow in godly affections and godly desires we know this for marriage the goal of marriage is to not have desire in marriage, you want to have godly desire. That's why Proverbs says do not desire the adulteress's beauty in your heart, but instead, you say, I want to be exhilarated by and desire my wife. You see, there are godly desires that need to be flamed into fire and increasing. But that happens by faith, believing God's word, and refusing, denying, denouncing that which is ungodly and choosing everything that is holy according to God's word. So the goal, again, is not to be without desire and affection, but to grow in godly desires and affections. So Moses, if we can learn from him in this regard, we learned that, yes, he was faced with a great temptation. But by faith, believing God's word, he renounced and refused sin, and he chose Christ, the treasures of Christ. He faced the same kind of temptations. But he resisted the temptation by greater affection for God, for His Word, than for the sin. Men, we've got to grow, grow in godly affections, godly desires, love for our God, love for our Savior, zealousness for the things of God. So that then, as sin comes knocking on our door, And lying to us about its passing pleasures. We see it for what it is. It's ugly. We have to do it every time we're tempted. But there's a sense in which we make a prior decision. We know. We know what God's word says regarding regarding these things. And we decide so that now we see the heinousness of sin and the glory of our God. May God give us greater affections for the things that are holy and righteous. May the beauty of Christ. These aren't just mere words. This is what we should be praying and we should be seeking. May the beauty of Christ as Savior, as God, as our Lord, capture our hearts so that we When tempted, have holy hatred for those things that are opposed to our great God. And all this is by faith. May it be that we say, as the hymn writer said, I'd rather have Jesus. I don't remember all the words. Then all this world affords. I'd rather have Jesus. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, I pray, may we be godly men in particular. God, may we lead by example. May we follow the example of Moses who by faith refused those things that were before him that were sinful and contrary to you and chose instead ill treatment with the people of God, even reproach because they were greater riches to him. Increase our love for you. Increase our affections. And Father, may we so love Christ and have our eyes fixed on him that the sinful things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.